One morning, I was sitting in a seminary class, and it was a morning seminary class, and we were going through the Gospel of Luke, and I had procrastinated uh, the week before this, and I had, assign- I had an assignment due the night before, and I was exhausted when I showed up to class that morning. I wasn't asleep, I can assure my parents that. I wasn't sleeping through the lecture, but I really wasn't quite awake either. And they had made it to Luke chapter 19, and the class began to erupt in this song, and I woke up, and I will never forget this song, and uh, perhaps you know this um, song, uh, but I'm going to spare your ears from uh, hearing my singing, and I'll just read it to you now. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but a happy man was he. For he had seen the Lord that day, and a happy man was he. And a very happy man was he. I, have never, I had never heard that song before that moment. But let me just say, I cannot forget that song. That song is just so joyous and catchy. And I don't know about you, but when I hear, when I hear those lyrics... I picture some really short, happy-go-lucky, diminutive person just having a good time, prancing around in the trees. But the song only discusses Zacchaeus after he encountered Jesus. But how about Zacchaeus before he encountered Jesus? I think before Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, he was a desperate man. He, he was desperate For the grace and mercy of God. You see, the message of salvation was on his mind, and the message of salvation must be on our minds as well. So now let us turn to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, where we shall find this wee little man. Again, that is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho. And was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus! Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So there's our short guy, the tax collector. Zacchaeus was his name. And he wasn't just any tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. He was the boss. He was the man in charge. But before you understand the significance of Christ's interaction with this tax collector, you've just got to know how awful this guy was. You see, the Roman government would impose heavy taxes on its people, even to the point that its own citizens would become impoverished. And Zacchaeus got a lion's share, a commission, of all of the money, of all of the tax money. And because he was in Jericho, near a major trade route, the money that he received would have been significantly more. And because he profited off of other people's poverty, people were angry at him. He was considered by many to be a traitor. So hated was he that even his family was hated. And some sought to seek revenge on Zacchaeus, how they might kill the tax collector or rob him of his goods or even do his family harm. Zacchaeus was hated. And he was hated because he stole people's money. I remember in fourth grade, sitting in a math class, and uh, we had this fraction pizza project that I had worked so hard on, cutting out construction paper toppings to put on this pizza. And I was, I was so proud of this project. And, and one day, I, uh, I sat it down on a table to let it dry. And the next morning, to my surprise, someone had taken my project and had told the teacher that it was their own. Let me just say, nothing will make a little kid want justice like another kid stealing your pizza project. I I was so angry. Now, perhaps you can relate. Maybe you can remember a time when you felt like someone had stolen something from you. No, maybe even when tax season comes around and and you feel the pain of handing over your hard-earned savings certainly isn't fun, is it? And so you can understand why the Jewish people, especially in Jericho, would dislike this man. Because it says, but Zacchaeus, he must have learned who Jesus was at this moment. Because it says in verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. And he probably heard stories, many stories about Christ about his miraculous birth, his baptism, the exorcisms he performed, the healings, the sermons in the synagogue, how he declared himself to be God by proclaiming that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And he heard all of Jesus' parables, no doubt. And most importantly, most pertinently to Zacchaeus, he heard about Christ's message of salvation that he was declaring all throughout the land. And so Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And so he went out to a major road where he knew that Jesus would be passing by. But when he arrived, there was a huge crowd. A huge crowd on the road. And and Zacchaeus, he was worried. 
I mean, I mean, what to do? All of, the, all of these people are around. I, I want to see Jesus. I, I want to see Jesus. I want to know his message of salvation. But, but I'm short in stature. I remember as a child uh, attending festivals and, and baseball games and concerts and even uh, church services. And my parents would take me by the hand and they'd say, do not let go. Said, you're short, you're little, you, you're going to get lost if, if you let go of our hand. And so I, uh, I typically didn't let go. I typically held on to their hand. But there was one occasion that I had uh, let go. And I was lost. This short little kid in the middle of a festival with, with people all around. And it honestly felt kind of like I was in a forest of people. I, I couldn't find my way out. And, uh, you know, Zacchaeus, he wasn't a child, but I certainly imagine maybe he felt a similar angst. And so he ran up into the sycamore tree. Because for one, he wanted to escape the crowd. But also because he wanted to see Christ. And he wanted for Christ to see him. Now, I don't suppose you understand the stupidity of sycamore tree climbing. It's certainly not something we see all the time, people climbing up in sycamore trees. But these sycamore trees, they they line the Roman roads with about the same frequency that telephone poles line our modern roads. And so, just just imagine for a moment, a, a government official, maybe an IRS tax agent, running up a telephone pole on Lexington Spring Mill Road. I mean, that just sounds ridiculous. And imagine the crowd as they watch Zacchaeus up there in the tree. I don't think they were saying, well, that's completely normal. They were probably saying, look at that moron in the tree. They're saying, get down, moron, you're going to hurt yourself in the tree. And I suppose there were probably even some that were saying, I kind of hope he does fall. Then you get what he deserves. But, but you see, what Zacchaeus did was demoralizing. It was embarrassing. Only a desperate man would take such desperate measures. And so Zacchaeus climbed up into the tree for safety from the crowds, but also safety for his soul. And so Jesus passed by on the road, and I suppose most of the crowd had assumed that Jesus would visit the religious elites and and the rest of the crowd and some of the more prominent members of society, some of the more beloved members of society. But who does Jesus visit? Jesus goes over to this tree and he visits the moron. Not, Not only the moron, but the the moron that they already despised because of his vocational thievery. But Jesus nevertheless looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus received, hurried and received him joyfully. You know, I think about Zacchaeus' excitement. 
I mean, what happens to a person when they're excited and they're already up in a tree and they want to see a person who is not up in the tree with them but on the ground? I, I think of Zacchaeus, he probably almost fell off the tree. <laughs> he, was, he was just so excited to see Christ. So, so excited that Jesus, Jesus was a welcoming, welcoming Lord and he, he was just so happy. I can't wait to see Jesus. Also notice in the text how Jesus says he must stay at Zacchaeus' house. Hear that operative word, must. Jesus was declaring not just that he would dine, that he would have dinner, that he would eat with Zacchaeus. Jesus was declaring that his will was to visit Zacchaeus' soul. And you see, Zacchaeus would not be saved until Jesus had entered his heart. Now Zacchaeus was happy. We've already established that fact. But not everyone was so happy as Zacchaeus was. The Pharisees, the self-righteous elitist, and all of the crowd began to grumble at the thought of Jesus speaking with this sinner. Oh, they hated the idea of Jesus speaking with sinners. They hated the idea of anyone speaking with sinners. They thought simply by interacting with sinners that they would become unclean. That their purity would be tarnished. But this wrong thinking... It wasn't new to the Pharisees and, and the self-righteous elitists and even to the Jewish community. Jesus tells us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing. They're not willing to even move them with their finger. They do all of their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts. And the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces. And being called rabbi by others. Simply put, the Pharisees loved themselves more than they even loved God. But their outward actions weren't the only thing that was wrong in their life. Just, just observe their prayer life. All, all you have to do is go back one chapter. Luke chapter 18. Listen to how these Pharisees pray. These self-righteous people pray. Oh, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This behavior wasn't new to the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were more wicked than they had ever dared to believe. But Zacchaeus, the sinner out of all people, 
stood before the Lord, humbled himself, pleaded with Jesus, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He says, not only have I given back fully as the law requires, I give back four times over. If I have stolen $1,000, I don't just give $1,000, I give back $4,000. What Zacchaeus was saying is, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. I want to make this right. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, oh Zacchaeus, you know better than to take people's money. Cursed are you, Zacchaeus. No. That's not what he says at all. He responds rather. Salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, that is God himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Do you hear that? Not the righteous, but the lost. And so we see in this passage a wee little man and a great big God and a glorious plan to redeem the lowly in heart. You know, after studying this text, I found that this is not just about Zacchaeus' redemption. It's also about our own. Because though we may come to Christ through different circumstances, we've all experienced the same work of Christ in bringing us to himself. Just listen to the lyrics of this famous hymn, The Church is One Foundation. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Her charter of salvation. And hear this. One Lord, one faith, one birth. And Zacchaeus experienced this same spiritual rebirth that all of us have experienced. And so here in this passage, I'd like to draw you to three points concerning God's work. God seeks sinners. God saves sinners. And God destroys the self-righteous. Again, that is God seeks sinners, God saves sinners, and God destroys the self-righteous. First, God seeks sinners. That, that is, before the beginning of time, God has chosen a people for himself. And he has determined to pursue them and to win them over and to bring them into the kingdom of God, to turn rebels into redeemed, to turn wicked into sons and daughters of righteousness. But we have this common misconception that even though we were born sinners, we really aren't that bad. We really are good people at heart. And that being good, our our disposition before our conversion was to readily and freely Choose Christ. And though we may do bad or evil things from time to time, we aren't that bad. I mean, after all, even the atheists seek God. Be careful. This idea is dangerously wrong, and, and Scripture gives us another picture. Just read Romans chapter 3. There is no one righteous, not even one. 
And that there is no one who understands. And, and that no one seeks God. What, what the atheist seeks and those who remain outside of Christ, they don't seek God. They seek the benefits of God. And, and we live in a people who are desperate for streams of living water. But they, they, but, but they think that they can find it in soda. You can't drink soda and expect hydration to expect life. And so this begs the question, well, how, how can anyone ever come to know Christ if we're unable to seek him? Well, wasn't there a time before our conversion when we weren't seeking Christ? So how do we come to seek him? Verse 10 tells us that it is Christ who first seeks It is Christ who relentlessly pursues. The Father elects, the Spirit regenerates, and the Son seeks. He sought out His sheep even to the extent that He died for them. That they might have life. Jesus sought out Zacchaeus. He said, I must stay at your house. Hurry and come down. It is Christ who initiates the relationship. And at the moment of your conversion, he said, to your soul, come to me and let me live inside of you. Don't ever think for one moment that you were the first to seek God out. Just listen to Ezekiel 34.11. It says, behold, I myself search for my sheep and seek them out. God seeks first. The gospel message is significant, not because we loved Christ first, but because Christ loved the unloving first, because God embraces only those who run far from the cross, and far were you from that cross. Christ sought you. So what happened to Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector? He loved money, he idolized money. And he idolized his self-status. He was concerned with his own glory. What happened to the sinner who would have wanted nothing to do with Christ and his message of salvation? How could a man who by nature hated Christ come to run after him and to embrace him with a spirit of angst and urgency? Here's a simple answer. But it's not always easy to understand. It is God who makes man believe. Just listen to John 6.63. It is the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. God Himself who gives life. But the flesh is no help at all. Only God can change the hearts of man. Just think about Paul. The, the great persecutor of Christians. How on the road to Damascus he was blinded. And it was only by the external work of Jesus Christ that he was made to see again. And so Paul went from being a persecutor to being a follower of Christ. How can that happen to so wretched of a man that an enemy would become a friend of Christ? That an enemy would become his follower? You might be saying, well... This illustration doesn't apply to me. I'm not that bad. I'm not like Paul. 
And I'm not that blind and spiritually hard-hearted. Before my conversion, I, I, I would have wanted to choose Christ. Before Christ ever sought me, I really would have wanted, had I gotten the chance, had I heard the gospel message. I'm really not that bad. Oh, buddy, do you remember that it was your sin? Your sin that drove the nails through the hands of Christ? You are responsible for his bruises. In the emptying of his hands, you were an enemy of Christ. And the only way that you could have been reconciled to God is if he reconciled you to himself. If he opened your heart and performed open heart surgery and and turned your heart to love and to ardent desire. Then and only then, do we like Zacchaeus begin to see who Jesus is and begin to desire communion with Christ. At the moment of your conversion, when he sought you out, when he removed the scales from your eyes, you were desperate for streams of living water. And at that moment, you would have done anything like Zacchaeus. You would have ran ahead of the crowd. You would have climbed up, in, climbed up into a tree, as stupid as that may look. At the moment of your conversion, you wanted nothing but Christ. Christ places the Spirit in man. Man begins to believe. Christ came to seek and to save Those who lost. Those who are lost. And those whom he seeks always come to him. Just just listen to John chapter 10. The sheep, they know his voice. And they come to him. This brings me to my second point. God saves sinners. The operative word here is sinners. He says, I came to seek and to save sinners. The lost. Jesus has told us in his word before, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And let us read verse 7 of Luke chapter 19 again. And, And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Amen. Amen. This is good news for you and I. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And without the grace of God, judgment would rightly fall on you and I. We were on the path to a fiery judgment. Living as sons of disobedience, practicing perverse acts, doing unjust deeds. And in one second, really in in less than one second, the Lord could have cut the cord to his mercy and his sustaining powers. And he could have led us plummet to hell where we would have experienced the full weight of his wrath. And it all would have been just because of how we have disobeyed the Lord. But to appreciate now the loving kindness of God towards you, you must remember where you came from. 
how wretched you were before the tender mercy of God struck your heart and birthed in you newness of life. And so we must follow the example of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus knew himself to be a sinner. Look how he cries out. How he desires mercy. How he repents. In verse 8. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus knew himself to be a sinner. A great sinner. But he also knew Christ to be a greater Savior. And on the day of Zacchaeus' confession, the, the day that he admitted his wrongdoing, the day, that, the day that salvation came to his house, it was a glorious day. But one reason we must consider our sinful state is that like Zacchaeus, no one is capable of exploring the vastness of God's steadfast love and amazing grace who has not first experienced the depth of his own sin. Ponder your own sinful nature. And and once you ponder your own sinful nature, you'll be able to better relish in the sweetness of God's amazing grace. When you know how dark your heart is, the light of God's grace shines all the more brighter. Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So this brings me to my last point. It's not an easy point. In fact, it's really difficult. And it's this. God condemns the self-righteous. Those who relish not in their, not, not in the greatness of God's mercy, but in their own acts of righteousness. You know, even in a room like this, where I suspect there to be a great many of you who have walked this pilgrim's way longer than most people at crossroads. Many, many of you are, are more mature in the faith, but I suspect even here, There are some who pride themselves on outward expressions of righteousness. You enjoy doing godly things, praying, serving, teaching, leading. Not in order to glorify God, though. But in order to glorify yourselves. And there are some here, if you're being honest, you wouldn't be caught dead standing by a sinner, by someone who gossips and slanders, someone, someone you know about who went to the bar Friday night, you wouldn't be caught dead with them because it might tarnish your reputation. But just listen to the condition of this well-known passage. Listen to God's requirements. If you confess your sins... That is, if you declare yourself to be a sinner in mercy, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But listen, the condition is this. You must acknowledge your sinful state. 
You must know how sinful you really are to receive the forgiveness of Christ. Just listen to Luke 19.10 once more. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who have already found their way and live perfectly righteous lives? No. He came to seek and to save the lost. If you're convinced that salvation is granted to you on the basis of your own good works and on your outward morality, you're looking in the wrong place. You are saved by works, but they're not your own works. They're the works of Christ. His his perfect life that He lived for you, the crucifixion that He bore on the cross was done all for you. But heed this warning now that He gives the Pharisees then and, and that He gives the Pharisees now. Just listen to this. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then Christ will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Be like Zacchaeus. Be like Zacchaeus. Acknowledge your own sin. Repent. Only then can you be sure that salvation has come to you. If you have not trusted in Christ's work alone to save you from God's future judgment of your sins, I beg you, come now to Christ before it is too late. Fire will fall like rain on those who wait another day until there are no more. I plead now, come to Christ and live. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And you are the lost. Let us bow our heads in prayer.